Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. asked Rigo to stay up here for a moment because today is a really important part of our series, What Would Jesus Pray? We spent six weeks exploring some of Jesus' prayers, some of Jesus' teachings on prayer, but today is really important because today we're going to look at some of his prayers from the cross. You noticed on your way in today that today is Communion Sunday. And communion is a time where we reflect on the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And I just want to remind you, this is something you know all too well, but I want to remind you today, as we look at the cross, we are looking at the very crux of Christianity. We are looking at the very center of the gospel message, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And all of scripture points to this one event. The whole entire Old Testament pointed forward to it. The whole New Testament looks back at it and rejoices in gladness over what Jesus did on that fateful day at Calvary. Jesus died for the sins of the world. And if you ever read the book of Revelation, you'd be reminded that even today in heaven, myriads and myriads, angels and and everyone who has ever lived, everyone in the presence of God, they're sitting before the throne and they're declaring the wonders of the cross. Forever, you and I will declare the wonders of the cross. Because what happened on that fateful day forever changed the course of history, forever changed the world, and will make it not only an impact here in our own lives, but could change the community around us. And so today, we're going to look at one of Jesus' prayers from the cross in a sermon titled Scandalous Prayers. And I wanted to start by reading the passage and just having Rigo here. I want you to just hear this passage again. Just soak it up. Luke 23, starting in verse 32. A little excerpt from Jesus' final day on earth. His final hours. 33 years old. Grew up as a carpenter. Ministered. Loved his neighbors. Loved his enemies. Was condemned as a criminal, even though he'd done nothing wrong was sent away to be executed amongst the worst of the worst in Roman society. And Luke describes a little excerpt of that scene here in Luke 23, starting in verse 32. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his left and one on his right, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal on the cross rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, he has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus speaking again, he speaks six times from the cross. Speaking again, he says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, his last prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You guys pray with me this morning. Father God, we acknowledge that once again, we're approaching holy ground. As we study the cross, as we study this prayer of Jesus's on the cross, we're reminded of what he endured that day for us. We don't take it lightly. We've become so accustomed to the cross. We talk about it often. Sometimes we forget what happened on that fateful day. Remind us today, Lord, of your love for us, that you loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remind people today who feel far from you that, that they, they can never be too far from you. You already paid the price. You entered into our broken world. You died a sacrificial death. You made a way. No one can out your grace. Your grace is so big, so magnificent. It's here for the worst. It's here for, the, it's here for everybody. Whoever needs you and calls upon you, they have you, Jesus. I pray that we would call upon you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to kick things off this morning, as we dive into this passage, I have a question for you. Have you guys ever taken the blame for something you didn't do? Has that ever happened to you? If you're the oldest in your family, then that's happened to you a lot, right? If you have younger siblings, I have five younger siblings. I was always taking the blame for what everyone else was doing. Now, now throughout the course of your life, odds are you have had to bear the consequences of others from time to time. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was unintentional. But we've all been there where we've had to pay for someone else's sins. And, and when I think of that, I can't help but think back to a time when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, I had what some would call a lead foot when it came to driving uh, out on the highway. All right, anybody else have a bit of a lead foot? Now, I know there's some deputies in this room today, so don't raise your hand too high because they might see you, okay? But I had a little bit of a lead foot. I got my first car. I got a truck when I was 16 years old. And actually, before that, I had an International Scout. Anybody seen those before? Okay, so I had an International Scout. I was 15 years old. I didn't drive it on the highway. Cops, don't worry. I didn't do that. But I did drive it. We had some roads behind our house, and we'd take it out off-roading and climbing hills, and it was a lot of fun. So I had that, and then I got a truck when I turned 16. I worked for my dad. I worked at Hemi Hay and Feed had a job, liked what I did, got a really cool truck. I was really proud of that thing. And I started driving right when I turned 16 years old. The problem was I had a lead foot. Okay, so I grew up racing motocross. And so naturally, I believed that anything with a motor in it was supposed to go fast. Because if, you, if, if you're not first, you're last, right? Okay, that's how I thought back then. I kind of still think that way today, even though the whole, I have the Holy Spirit now, all right? So I didn't, I didn't have the Holy Spirit then. I have the Holy Spirit now to kind of control me a little bit. But 
That way of thinking, it helped me succeed on motorcycles, but it really got me into a little bit of trouble when I was a teenager. Because within the first few months of getting my driver's license, I got two tickets, two speeding tickets in the same week. So I got these tickets. The first one I told my dad, Dad, I got pulled over. I was going too fast. I'm sorry. He's upset with me. I got to pay it. All that stuff happened. But I, and then, you know, a few days later, I got another one. I didn't tell him about the second one because if he was mad about the first one, what would he be thinking about the second one? So I finally pulled out the second ticket when we went before the judge, like right before I walked in to see the judge. I'm like, oh, dad, I forgot to tell you. And I pulled out this crumbled yellow ticket from my back, back of my pocket and he couldn't do anything about it because we were about to go see the judge. So it was perfect timing. But we go to the judge and the judge is upset with me and rightly so. And he says, young man, if, if, if this happens again, you're going to lose your license. I'm like, okay. So I get the ticket. I pay the fines. I get in trouble with my family. My parents are angry. Everyone's upset with me. You think I would learn my lesson, except that a few months later, I got another ticket. This time, I actually told my dad, because this time I knew that I'd probably get in a lot of trouble. So once again, just a reminder, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, I did not have the Holy Spirit. That's an important piece of this. Now, Go to my dad. He's upset. Got to pay another fine. Got to see the judge again. I go to the judge, hand him the ticket. He says, all right, I told you you'd lose it. You're going to lose your license. So I lost my license for 30 days. That was the longest 30 days of my life. Okay. I love driving. I just love being out on the road. I loved my truck. And I had to sit there and see my truck in the driveway for 30 days. I couldn't touch it. 30 days later, I get my license, and I'm doing well. Okay, guys, I'm doing well. People can change. I started doing well for a time. <laughs> and within a few months, I got another ticket. Now, this is what happened. Okay, this is what happened. This one was a little different. I wasn't speeding. I was driving my dad's truck this day, and I was down in Hollywood. I was driving down Hollywood Boulevard in my dad's truck. I don't know if I was in my dad's truck. I was in his truck, though, driving down Hollywood Boulevard. I come to an intersection. The light turns yellow, and I have a split-second decision to make. Do I go or do I stop? I don't know about you guys, what you do in those moments. Hopefully, you stop. I decided, go. So I went and when I drove through the intersection, I noticed these lights flashing in my face. Okay, this was the beginning of, of uh, pit cameras in intersections. Okay, Hollywood had just set up these cameras. No one had done this yet at this point. I had never seen these things before. I was wondering what was flashing in my face. But this was Hollywood. There's cameras everywhere, all kinds of stuff happening. So I'm like, I didn't think much of it. Until a few weeks later, my dad walks up to me with an envelope in his hand. And he's calm and he's composed, and so now I'm really scared. <laughs> and he opens up the envelope, and he unfolds the paper, and he points it at me, and he says, is this you? And there I am, running a red light with a big smile on my face down Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> so I can't deny it. I can't squirm out of it. All I'm thinking in that moment is, all right, life is over. My life is over. My dad is done with me. My truck is gone. The, the, the court system's done with me. I've done it again. My life is over. I, what am I going to do? I, I'm, you know, it's over for me. That's it. End of story. And then something crazy happened. Something I will never, ever, ever forget. As we're looking at the citation, 
we notice that on the citation, it was written out to John Hemi, not to Ricky Hemi. And the reason it was written out to John Hemi is because I was driving his truck that day. His truck was registered in his name and not my name. And my dad did something crazy. He took out a checkbook, wrote a check, put it in the envelope, sent it off in the mail, never mentioned the ticket again. When that happened, I was shocked. I had done something wrong, yet my dad was going to pay the penalty for it. I had blown it, not once, not twice, not three times, four times now. And my dad, instead of laying into me, which, which I deserved, I deserved judgment, punishment, all of it. I deserved the worst. Instead of doing that, he calmly wrote a check, put it in the envelope, sent off the ticket, and never mentioned the ticket again. In that moment, I experienced for the first time what it meant to be shown grace. Somebody else taking my punishment for me and saying, you know what, I still love you. You got issues, Ricky, but I still love you. He sent off the ticket. He never mentioned it again. And I just want to tell you this. That moment changed me because that moment did something to me that punishment never could. I had known punishment, paying my tickets, paying my fines, losing my license, getting in trouble, getting grounded, being, you know, letting everyone down. I had known punishment after punishment after punishment after punishment, and punishment was never changing me. And so my dad took a different approach. He said, I'm not going to punish, punish him. It's useless. It's not doing anything. I'm going to sign the ticket, write a check, send it in the mail. It's in God's hands now. It changed me. I felt so terrible in that moment that my dad had to pay my penalty. I felt so loved in that moment that my dad would forgive me that I didn't get another ticket for over 15 years. Okay, that's how long it took me to finally, I did get a ticket. I wish I had a perfect record. But 15 years, that's pretty good. Some of you all have not gone 15 years without a ticket. Let's just be honest for a second, okay? And I don't drive crazy anymore, just so you know. But... 15 years. Now, some of you, you're hearing that story. I see it on your face. You're thinking, wow, that's so wrong. How scandalous. Your dad should never do that for you. You got the ticket. You were the irresponsible teenager. You deserve the punishment. Never in a million years should your dad Sign a check, sign the ticket, send it back in. What a scandal. What terrible parenting. That is an outrage. Well, if you think that's an outrage, I want you to see what happened on the cross. If you think that that is a scandal, then today you're going to be confronted with the greatest scandal in human history. Because at Calvary, Jesus Christ died for the sins of wicked, broken, lost criminals. Criminals went free. Sinners were forgiven. People with a long list of debt, their debts were erased. Their payment was paid in full. They went off free, and Jesus took the punishment for them. 
That's the cross. Let me give you a little background on the cross. And I'm just going to warn you, it's going to get a little tough at times to hear some of this. And my goal is not to make you squirm. I just, I just want to help you see what actually happened that day. You see, we've become very accustomed to seeing crosses. We've become very accustomed to talking about crosses. Sometimes we forget what happened on that fateful day. So we're going to walk through these events together. Now, crucifixion, this was a form of capital punishment that was uh, invented by the Persians in 500 B.C. And what was happening is, is the Persians, they believed that the earth was sacred. And so what they did is they invented a way of, of torturing and killing people that would lift them up off of the ground so as not to taint the earth, make the earth unclean. Well, when other cultures saw this, they grabbed onto it and they adopted it as a form of punishment. But later on, the Romans really take, took a like, liking to crucifixion and they, according to scholars, they perfected crucifixion. The Roman soldiers performing these crucifixions, they were professional torturers. Okay, they were trained to make crucifixion the most painful, excruciating, embarrassing, prolonged version of death on the planet. That's what they were trained to do, and they were very good at it. And a word was actually invented to describe the pain of crucifixion. It's the word excruciating. You've probably used that before. That word excruciating, it literally means from the cross. From the cross. The cross was the worst form of capital punishment reserved for the absolute worst criminals in Roman society. And, and, and today, we could never imagine something as gruesome as crucifixion happening in modern times. But even in these ancient times when, when life was much more brutal, even back then, people still thought that the cross was disgusting. It was a disgrace. The Jewish historian Josephus, writing around the time of Jesus, he described crucifixion as the most wretched of deaths. The ancient philosopher Cicero requested that Roman citizens not even talk about the cross because it was too indecent of a subject for the ears of, of, of regular folks. And even Rome, they had their own standards back in their day when it came to crucifixion because although they were very good at it and they loved doing it, they would never crucify their own citizens. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. And Jews especially hated crucifixion. Because in Deuteronomy 22, we learn that anyone hanged on a tree is cursed by God. Jesus became a curse for us. Now, one of the most disturbing traits of crucifixion is that it was something that was done publicly. One Roman wrote this. He said, whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and the most people can be moved by this fear. Okay, so, so this form of torture and punishment, it was designed to terrorize the people and strike fear in the hearts of the people. What the Romans were saying is, is if you mess with Rome, this is what will happen to you. And everyone in Jesus' day, 
They were very acquainted with this brutal form of capital punishment because it was something that was done on the, in the busiest parts of town. They would do this on purpose, make a, skept, a spectacle out of everybody that was being hung on a cross. They wanted the world to be afraid. They wanted to terrorize hearts and minds so that no one would ever push back against Rome. Now, what's interesting, though, is this. The cross, this weapon of terror and shame and torture is the most widely recognized symbol on the entire planet. Now, today, the cross is a picture of hope, a picture of life, a picture of blessing, of joy, of salvation. But back in the day, this was a brutal reminder of death. This was a brutal reminder of pain and torture. Today, though, we've kind of shifted. We see crosses everywhere. You see crosses on ambulances. You see crosses on hospital walls. Some of you are wearing crosses as jewelry. Maybe you have a tattoo cross. Maybe, you, I, maybe you've seen it on TV. You've seen it. You see them all over the place. Crosses are over, all over the place. They're the most popular symbol in the entire world, okay, and for good reason. They're more, it's more popular than Nike, more popular than Apple, more popular than the golden arches of McDonald's. Okay, it's the most popular symbol in, in all of history, But sometimes we forget that this symbol is terribly offensive. The cross is terribly offensive. You see, the cross is like wearing an electric electric chair around your neck. No one would put an electric chair on their shirt. No one would use an electric chair as their symbol for hope. And I'm not condemning. We today, we use the cross as a symbol of hope for good reason. Hold up your cross, share the cross, proclaim the cross, but don't forget what happened on that cross. Well, in Luke's gospel, we're given a picture of three crosses on a skull-shaped hill. On one side is a criminal. On the other side is another criminal, two enemies of the state. And in the middle is one empty cross that was supposed to be reserved for a guy named Barabbas, a notorious murderer and insurrectionist. And this guy named Barabbas was known by others as being a killer, a cold-blooded murderer. And because the people wanted Jesus crucified so badly, even though he'd been declared completely innocent, done nothing wrong, they continued to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Instead of Barabbas going to the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, goes to the cross in his place. And here we get a quick glimpse of God's purpose for that fateful moment, for that event at Calvary. We get a glimpse into God's heart and God's love and God's purpose for sending his son. And it's this, Jesus, the eternal son of God, came to die for murderers and for thieves. Jesus, the eternal son of God, came to die for sinners and rebels. Jesus, the eternal son of God, came to die for his enemies. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to die for those who reject him, who turn against him, who'd go their own way to find their own truth, who refuse to listen and obey. He came to die for the worst of the worst, and he gladly went to the cross for us. And the scandal of of Jesus' life is this. The perfect Son of God, eternal Son of God, he was born in a cave among animals. And he died on a cross among criminals. What a scandal. 
the most scandalous event in human history. The innocent offered himself in place of the guilty, the pure in place of the impure, the righteous in place of the wicked, the perfect son of God in the place of the worst of the worst. Well, Jesus' journey to the cross was a long and excruciating one. It started the night before in a garden called Gethsemane. We kind of explored that some last week when we were talking about John 17, some of Jesus' final prayers. And in Gethsemane, Jesus endured a sleepless night where he was in anguish and stress, and, and he knew what was coming around the corner. He's wrestling with his father, just wondering, is this the only way? Is there another way out? Do I need to drink this cup? Okay, the picture here is that there's this cup of wrath from God. There's this cup of wrath stored up for us, for all our sins, all our rebellion. Okay, we have a perfect God in heaven, and we have chosen to reject him, to do things our own way, and we've done things called sin. And, and as we sin, that, that wrath is poured out into this cup. Someone has to drink the cup. Either you drink the cup, and you pay the price for your sin, and you stand before God, you give an account to him in every single thing you've done wrong, every thought, every deed, every, every action, that you, everything that has been against God, you pay the penalty for that, or Jesus drinks your cup. And so Jesus is wrestling, God, is, is there another way? Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says this, Jesus withdrew from the disciples about a stone's throw, he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat become like, became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Well, after a long night of praying and communicating with the Father in and, and agony and, and in distress, he was then betrayed by one of his close friends, a man named Judas. From here, Jesus underwent a series of false and illegal trials held in the middle of the night. First, he appeared before the Sanhedrin, then the high priest, then Pilate. Then Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas sent him back to Pilate. And from place to place, trial to trial, they could, they could find nothing deserving of death, nothing deserving of punishment. He was innocent, declared innocent from place to place, but no one knew what to do with him because the crowds got louder and louder. The mob was raging. People started screaming out, release Barabbas, release the murderer, and kill the Son of God. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate eventually washed his hands removed himself from the situation, and condemned Jesus as a criminal. The next thing that happened was something called flogging. John 19.1 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Quick little verse. I don't want to get too gory here. I'm not trying to just share gore just to share gore. I just want you to, to, to see what the disciples saw that day. See what Mary saw that day. See the crowds who are wanting to harm and murder the Son of God. See what they saw that day. Jesus was flogged. Flogging was a legal preliminary to every Roman execution. 
And what would happen is, is they would strip a, a victim of their clothes, they'd tie their hands to an upright pole, and they'd take a whip called a cat of nine tails, and they would strike the victim on the back and legs and buttocks, 40 lashes minus one. And, and on that whip called the cat of nine tails, this was a terrible torture device. It had leather straps, it had balls of iron, it had broken up sheep bones, sometimes glass. And Roman soldiers would take turns, 39 lashes. 40 was said to kill a person. And so they'd stop at 39. Well, at this point, you would think that they would show mercy. At this point, you would think that they would relent. But still they cry, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they take the mocking and they take the scoffing to a whole new level. They clothe Jesus in a purple robe, mocking him because he was the king of the Jews, the king of creation. They took a crown of thorns and they pressed it upon his skull. They put a staff in his hand. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They beat him. They made fun of him. They paraded him in, in public like a clown. And then they sent him away to be executed. Now, even though Jesus was young and healthy, he was 33 years old, he lived a life as a carpenter. He worked with his hands. He traveled all over the place. Okay? He wasn't, he, there, were, there were no trucks back then, like when I was growing up. He walked all over the place. Even though he was young and healthy and, and strong, he couldn't carry his crossbar about a third of a mile to his place of execution. At this point, he was already so beat up he couldn't carry it and so we read in Luke 23 26 that they laid that they as they led him away they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus the distance walked is about a third of a mile you can go to Jerusalem today and visit the place yourself and when he reached the place of his crucifixion a place called the skull or Golgotha or Calvary it's a skull-shaped hill outside of the city. When they came to that place, Jesus was finally nailed to the cross. Five to seven-inch metal spikes were driven through his hands and feet. The most sensitive nerve endings in the entire body. He was lifted up on the cross. The cross was dropped into a hole. And Jesus was left there for six hours. And for six hours, he was mocked. For six hours, he was laughed at. For six hours, he died a slow, painful, agonizing death. I don't know if you know this, but, but death on the cross was due to asphyxiation. You would, you would suffocate. And the only way to, to get a breath is to pull yourself up and get a breath. And so eventually, when you can't take it anymore, you start to fade. Jesus, sitting there on the cross... Soldiers gambling for his clothes, people mocking him, people making fun of him. He's there on the cross for us, and six times he speaks, seven times rather, seven times Jesus speaks from the cross. And the most scandalous thing that he says is our passage today, today the most scandalous words uttered by Jesus. It says, looking out at the crowd with blood streaming down his face, soldiers gambling for his clothes, 
people taunting and laughing, people spitting venom at Jesus. He looks out at this crowd. He looks out at the crooked politicians. He looks out at the mob. He looks out at all those who hate him and mock him and despise him. And he looks up to heaven and he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. Father, forgive them for you. they know not what they do. Now, when I read this, the first thing that comes across my mind is, what do you mean forgive them? What do you mean they know not what they do? Jesus, they arrested you. Jesus, they forced your crucifixion. Jesus, they beat you. They mocked you. They drove the nails through your hands and through your feet. Forgive them. No, how about this? Father, obliterate them. Father, wipe them off of the face of the planet. That sounds like a more appropriate prayer for the most powerful person in all of history, the Son of God, the one who could call angels, a host of angels, to wipe out anybody who would oppose him. But instead, as he sat on the cross and he looked out at his creation, the creation he made, the creation he loves, his children, even though they sought to hurt him, to kill him, he still says, Father, forgive them. The reason I wanted to share with you the journey of the cross in the context of this prayer is because I want you to see today that there is no greater example of God's heart for you, for mankind, than this one verse. If you've ever wondered if if God loves you, I want you to hear today, he does. If you ever wondered if God can forgive you, I want you to know today, he sure can. Jesus died in the place of criminals. Jesus died in the place of sinners. Doesn't matter how big your sin is. Doesn't matter how long your list is. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing it for. Doesn't matter if you, like me, kept coming to your dad and saying, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm going to change. And then you didn't change. You went back and did the same thing over and over again. Jesus still looks at you with love, with compassion. You are his child. He made you. He knows you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He was grateful to die for you. And even in your sinning, the worst of the worst, your worst thoughts, your worst actions, your worst deeds ever imagined, whatever it might be, he looks down at you in your rebellion, in your turning, and he's saying, God, please forgive them. They know not what they do. Put your name in this prayer. Father, forgive Ricky. He's just a lost teenager. Father, forgive Susie. She's just hurting and broken and has a past that has made her think that this is the best choice. Please forgive her. Father, forgive blank. They know not what they Guys, I hope you know, and many of you are believers here today. Some of you might not be. I hope you know that Jesus loves you so much he endured that for you. When he was saying, forgive them, he wasn't just talking about the crooked politicians. He wasn't just talking about the angry mob. He wasn't just talking about the soldiers piercing his hands and his feet. He wasn't just talking about the criminals hanging next to him. He was also talking about you and me. 
communion is a time where we remember Jesus' prayer of forgiveness. And what I want you to see today is that this prayer is answered every time someone believes. Jesus made a way for your forgiveness. What Jesus did on the cross was enough. He paid it in full. He didn't die and stay dead. He rose from the grave. Can I get an amen? He rose from the grave. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He rose from the grave showing that it was enough. He rose from the grave showing that he, what God sent him to do, the Father sent him to do, he did in fact accomplish. He rose from the grave offering life and forgiveness and hope, the Holy Spirit. He rose from the grave so that you can be saved. And every time someone believes, that prayer is answered. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you need forgiveness today? Stop hiding. Stop running. Stop convincing yourself God doesn't care. Stop telling yourself you're not worthy. In our minds, of course we're not worthy. But Jesus says you're worthy because he went to the cross for you. If Jesus can forgive you, you can forgive you, you can forgive others. Forgiveness changes everything. And so I invite some of you today to receive forgiveness for the first time. We're gonna partake of communion together. Communion is a time where we reflect on what Jesus did on the cross for our forgiveness. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And, and one thing I want you to know, communion is actually meant for believers. It's not actually meant for everyone to partake of communion. It's meant for those who actually believe. Some of you came into this place this morning not believing, and I'm hoping right here, right now, as we take communion, you'll be taking communion as a believer for the very first time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. If you believe today, you're forgiven, you're loved. And what we see in the rest of this story, next to Jesus, was one criminal who was repentant, who believed, and Jesus said to this criminal, even though this criminal had never been to church, even though this criminal had never been baptized, even though this criminal never had a chance to follow after Jesus, Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because he believed. Take a moment, confess your belief. Take a moment, pause, pray to Jesus, do some work with him. Bring your burdens, your fears, your stresses, your sins, lay them at his feet. And then I'm actually gonna lead us together. I'll let you, we'll, we'll take the wafer together. We'll take the juice together and we'll conclude our service. So go ahead and take a moment right now. Talk to God and, and for some of you, believe upon him for the first time. Take a moment and then I'll lead us.
Matthew 26, 26 says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's remember Christ's body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember Christ's blood shed for us. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you receive Jesus for the first time today, I'm going to encourage you to come and and talk with us. If you have some things that you're wrestling through, some areas of forgiveness where you're you're feeling like you're, you're stuck, I want to remind you we have ways to help you through that. We have things like CR. We have things like Rooted. We have small groups. This journey of life is not one that's supposed to be lived alone. I hope you are reminded today that Jesus is worth following. I hope you're reminded today that he's worth, he's worth your entire life. And I hope that the joy of the cross, the hope of the cross, is something that you are bringing to your family, something you're bringing to your neighbors, something you're bringing to your coworkers. I hope and pray that the cross doesn't just transform us, that it transforms everyone around us. I'm gonna pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this series where we got to think through your prayers, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for speaking from the cross, for showing grace and love, even with nails in your hands and your feet. I pray, God, that we would be changed by the gospel, knowing that you paid it all, knowing that you truly love us, knowing that we can be forever changed. Bless this congregation, bless this church, help us to be all that you've made us to be. And I pray that many would come to know you through today and and in the weeks to come, that they would come to see the power of the cross in their own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless everybody. Have an amazing Sunday. If you need some prayer, Marcus and I will be up here ready to pray with you. Have a great week.